Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Giving your life a meaning is what I want to share on. Giving your life a meaning. You know, I came up with this title as we were on our way. So what we're going to do is the media team, when we're done, you're going to have to create a different banner with this new theme. Um, and then you're going to re-upload this new banner as the cover photo for this sermon, just for better referencing, giving your life a meaning. There's a story I heard that really touched my life, and it's very consistent with what we're about to talk about today. In the teaching hospital in America, a doctor and his students made their rounds from word to word. And if you are familiar with how teaching hospitals work, the teaching doctors teach with practicals, going from word to word, and after they have assessed all the patients, the teaching doctor will ask the student doctors, so what do you think? And he's trying to test their diagnosis if they got it right. Come on, are you, are you familiar with what I'm saying? And they went from word to word and they were doing that and they went to this particular word. Amongst many other things, this lady had an issue with her mental health. And so the teaching doctor asked his student doctors, so what do you think? What should be done to this lady? And after they had given all their diagnoses and all their suggestions on possible drugs that she could be put on, one of them said, we also need to affirm to her that she is a worthwhile human being. You know, and that was a good idea. Since you're talking about mental health, sometimes people just need to be reminded, you know, you're special and you're not an accident and you're here for a reason. You know, it's a good idea. And everybody nodded, you know, in an affirmative way, thinking that was a good idea. But then... The teaching doctor said, well, how do you know that she's a worthwhile human being? And everybody thought he was laughing, so everybody just laughed. They thought it was a joke. But then he was still looking, dead serious. How do you know she's a worthwhile human being? You know, then they realized they're talking to an evolutionist, someone who doesn't even believe in the existence of God, and he just believes that we are the product of random selections, you know, at the beginning, there was a loud explosion, what they call a big bang. And a lot of complex chemical reactions began to take place. And after millions, aeons of years, everything we know and love came to be. So by that logic, a, a dog is not worth more than a human being. We're all just accidents. So he asked, how do you know that she's a worthwhile human being? You see, at least this guy is in touch, in touch with the implications of his convictions. A lot of people don't know how their faith in a creator God influences every other worldview. It does influence your worldview. An apologist asked someone a question. He said, I don't believe in God. I believe that everything is, you know, is a product of cosmic accident and all of that. And he asked him a question. He says, if a child is drowning in a pool and an animal is drowning in a pool, 
Who are you going to save first? And he was, I mean, interviewing many people, of course. Many people just immediately realized what they were doing wrong. And they said, of course, I will save the child. And they couldn't answer why. Because logically speaking, if a child and a dog were made the same way, you know, just accidentally, there was no intent, no intelligence, no design, just an accident, and some were dogs and some were apes, and in fact, human beings were once apes, it means we're all the same. Come on, are you with me? Hallelujah. You know, but one person, you know, there is always that one person determined not to lose an argument. And you know what he said? He said, I can actually save either one of them because the, the dog is not less important than the child. Of course, he doesn't think that. Otherwise, he'll be a psychopath. But anyway, I said all of that to say this. And please listen to me as I say this. One great blessing of a believer is purpose. One great blessing of a believer is what? Because you see, logically, it is hard to believe that you have a purpose in life if you don't believe in God. In fact, it is logically inconsistent to believe you have a purpose in life if you don't believe in God. The simple logic is this. If you were created intentionally, it means that a creator, that there is a creator with intentions. I'll take that again. If you were created intentionally, it means there is a creator with intentions. Seems pretty straightforward, but we have to point these things out these days. Say this again. Say it with me. Say, if I was created intentionally, it means there is a creator with an intention. Preach that to someone by your side. Say, if you were created intentionally, it means there is a creator with an intention. So you see, the mere concept of purpose presupposes a creator with expectations. The mere concept of purpose presupposes a creator with expectations. If there is a purpose, that means there is one who proposed. Come on, are you getting me? If there is a purpose, there is what was proposed, and then there is one who proposed. So, the mere concept of purpose presupposes a creator with expectations. We believe that there is, as some people call him, the grand architect of the universe, an intelligent mind behind this intelligent design that we call the earth. We believe that every human was made with intent and with purpose. We believe that on the first day, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And let there be firmament, and there was firmament. And he went on and on in a crescendo of creation until he said, let us make man in our image. Now that's intention. First and foremost, he said, let us make. So it wasn't an accident. It was a well thought out process. And so that makes every human being special. Because no one is an accident. 
There is a creator God, an intelligent mind behind this intelligent design who proposed the creation of all human beings. Say loud amen if you believe. And it goes a step further. Not only was mankind created, he said, let us create them in our image. And that's why you can have a celebration and kill animals to eat. But you can't kill a human being. The reason is why. Are you aware that an atheist can't answer that? Why is it not wrong to kill a bird? But it is wrong to kill a human. Why? Because it's not popular. It might be noble not to kill a human. It might be popular not to kill a human. Just the same way once upon a time, slavery was a thing, but now it's not a thing. And some people still don't really get why slavery is wrong. It's not just popular anymore. Because in the way people act, you can still see that they still have a superiority complex over other people. They feel that because they have more money, they are better. Or because they have more privileges, they are better. Or because they are more handsome or more beautiful, they are better. Human beings... In their natural proclivities, always look for an avenue to show superiority. I'm telling you, it's a thing. And so, even if the basis for slavery has changed, the underlying principle, that superiority complex is still very much with us. Come on, are you with me? And you'll be surprised what people will do to you if they had the chance. But we believe that every human being was made in the image of God. And so God says you must never kill another human for they were made in in his image. They were made in his image. The Latin expression is imago Dei, which, by the way, has a deeper, futuristic, prophetic meaning in Christ. Conversation for another day. Hallelujah. Come on, I said hallelujah. So you have to understand that atheist or a secularist might say, in a motivational way, that you matter, you are special, but they can't prove it. But when God says you matter, he says that from a deep spiritual and theological foundation, you were made in the image of God. You really are special. You really are important. And to believe in God is to believe in purpose. Purpose gives you a sense of accountability. There is a creator with expectations. And accountability gives you a sense of hope. At the end of my life, I will give account. That's hope. 
and that as bad as things are now, there is a better future in God. That's hope. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. That's hope. You have to understand that our beliefs are not just religious. They are a superior worldview. Every other worldview is silly. And if everyone else was to live out their worldview, if someone was supposed to act like there is no God, <laughs> we'll all be in trouble. Do you get what I'm saying? Songwriter said, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives. Am I, am I hearing echo or something? <laughs> all right, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds my future. Oh my God. You, you must love believing in God. Hallelujah. All right, this is a good place to say it with me now. Say, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Say, because he holds my future. Hallelujah. And not only does he, or is he the source of all living things, he cares. You can cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Look at Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10 verse 29. Oh, now this is powerful. Giving your life a meaning. Matthew chapter 10 verse 29. It says, and not two sparrows sold for a copper coin... It says, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. Oh, wow. 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 You see, this is a sense of importance that someone who just believes this world is the product of a cosmic accident and there's no intelligent design behind it. This is a, this is a mentality that they cannot have. It says, no bird dies without the father's knowledge. And so he says, you are worth more than many sparrows. He uses this to show how much more important you are. He says, even the birds are important in the grand scheme of things. Nothing is by accident. Come on, are you with me? There's a God Behind all this, who created all these things? You are worth more than many sparrows. You are worth more than many sparrows. Listen, what I'm holding, what I'm preaching holds more water than any motivational speech. Are you getting what I'm saying? Because strictly from an intelligent or intellectual standpoint, it is hard to prove to a human that he or she is truly important. But when you say there is a God who intelligently and intentionally proposed your existence, you are worth more than many sparrows. And he doesn't just stop there. 
what you're about to read next, you know, should blow your mind as it did mine. In verse 30, he says, but the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Everybody read verse 30 together. One, two, go. Read it again. One, two, go. The very hairs on your head are numbered. Listen, he didn't say the very hairs on your head are counted. He says they are numbered. Meaning if you go for a haircut, God can pick a strand and say, oh, this was hair number 234,415. They all have a number. This is a creator who is obsessed with his creation. He cares about you. Listen, listen. This is why we can cast our cares on him. Because he cares for us. He's committed to you. So now, to explain the extent of his commitment, he says even the hair on your hair is numbered. He knows you more than you know yourself. You'll be a weirdo to know how many hair, hair strands you have. You'll be, you'll, that would be a psychological case. Psychotic patient. <laughs> but God knows. Come on, are you with me? God knows. God knows. God knows. You are important to God. And because you matter to God, you matter. Did you hear what I said? Because you matter to God, you matter. Listen, you matter so much, it no longer matters who think you don't matter. Come on, are you with me? As it is often said, one with God is majority. Listen, no wonder Paul could speak with such a confidence and say, if God be for us. Come on, I know, come on. Who can be against us? Who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Come on, are you with me? This is so important. This is so special. There is a sense of confidence in purpose that the believer ought to have. Something that nothing can take away. It is not about riches. It is not even about how easy your passage in life is. It is fundamentally about God and the fact that you are here for a reason. The fact that he knows you, he sees you. Just picture Jesus telling someone, I saw you under the fig tree. <laughs> I saw you under the fig tree. I know you. Historians had even deeper explanation as to what Jesus might have meant. Some say his parents had to run for their lives. There was a war and something and his mom, different historical views, but whether this is true or not, but it does tell you fundamentally that Jesus cares. You know, his mom had to quickly deliver him under a tree. Whether that was the real intent of the story, or it simply meant that he was under a fig tree before he was called that Jesus wanted to see him, it does tell you, he sees me. He knows me. He knows every detail of my life. And even the hair on my head is numbered. He loves you more than anyone in your life. Praise the name of Jesus. There's one story I'll never forget. 
something that happened to me. You know, after you've waited for such a long time to marry someone, and you see them walking down the aisle, you see, single guys, it's very hard to explain. You have to experience it yourself. You know, know, the Bible is hard for single people. Because even to enter the ark, you have to enter in twos. You know, know? reason I'm, reason I'm. (laughs) Think about it. Most of the animals that were left to die were single. That's Bible. (laughs) Anyways, and you know, and you know, I'm just waiting. And you know, she comes. She's she's standing beside me, and I'm just like, oh my god, she really is beautiful. You know, and all of that. And then the veil is annoying me. I want to tear it off. <laughs> it's not deeper than what I said, though. <laughs> Maybe it is. But anyway, <laughs> focus, focus. <laughs> you know. But then, before the sermon, they begin to sing a worship song. Ah! And then I'm lost. I kneel. It's my wedding day, but I kneel. I think I was crying, you know. And then for a split second, I'm now like, wait, I'm not even checking on this babe. Let me check on her. And I opened my eyes and saw she too, she was lost. (laughs) It was at that moment, right at the foundation of the marriage, I realized I'm not her number one love. (laughs) And it's okay. And she's not mine and it's okay. And it's, our love is even safer the fact that Christ is number one. Hallelujah. Because you see, Christ loves me more than anyone can. Listen, when I have complex human relationships, it makes me respect God. The fact that God loves all of us. Do you really do you realize that's, that's divine? And we are the branches. <laughs> I'm on a roll. I'm on a... I'm on the road, he says. Apostle visit uh, vibes. <laughs> Ma, oh God, the F is silent. <laughs> Hallelujah. You know, I mean, God loves everybody. Two children of God will be misbehaving, maybe even beefing. And God loves both of them. <laughs> I don't know how he does it. Sometimes I see some Christians, I'm like, God, this one too is your child. <laughs> this one, this one also. <laughs> I say, God, you're really trying. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> but God loves every one of us. And he wants it, he wants us to be okay with that. 
that when he's throwing a party for the prodigal son, he doesn't want the son in the house to be offended. God is not cheating on you when he's blessing someone else. (laughs) He's not. Allow God bless other people. Listen, it is not only your ministry God will bless. It is not only your... Why do you pass? And I say, yes, sir. Come down. (laughs) Do you want to tell me something? (laughs) Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, are you with me? It's not only your marriage God will bless. It's not only your children God will bless. Say amen. Amen. (laughs) And it's okay. I don't know why God made me move and talk about this, but I think it was someone. So even the hair on your hair is numbered. Two facts about life. Number one, life is not meaningless. Number two, life in itself is not satisfying. (laughs) And they seem contradictory, but they are not. Life is not meaningless, but it's not altogether satisfying. There's got to be something about life, but there's got to be to life. There's got to be something about life, but there's also got to be more to life. Life is not meaningless. Like I said, purpose begets accountability. And a life without accountability is dangerous. You see, one brand had a popular slogan when we were growing up. And the slogan is, obey your thirst. And I cannot even begin to tell you how deadly an advice that is to obey your thirst. Growing up, we thought that freedom is a life without rules. But a life without rules is the real prison. You become a prison of your desires. Someone who tries to stop drinking and cannot stop is not free. But when he started drinking, he thought he was free. He felt on top of the world. Nobody can tell me what to do. Nobody will tell me whether I go drink or, you know. Until he became a prison of his desires. Come on, are you with me? So at the end of the day, true freedom is a life with boundaries. If I always obey my thirst, if I don't regulate my desires, I will find myself in prison. I will be in trouble. And that's why I shouldn't party all day. Otherwise, I'll be broke. You see, this course, era, era, whatever will be, will be attitude, you know, comes when you just feel... There is no God to be accountable to. This is what I mean. Cast of virtuous restraints. Listen, if you believe there is no God, there is a way you will live. I'm telling you, there's a way you will live. 
Purpose begets accountability. And accountability keeps our common sense. You know you will answer to God. What I'm saying can save your life. It can. It can. There's got to be more to life. Because if we're all animals and we just die and that's it, then why bother? Why care? Why should I find one's spouse and love him or her all my life? Why? And you understand why I say him or her like if you are a him, her, you know? <laughs> I, you need to explain these things, these things. As the case may be, you understand that. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And then number two, life is not satisfying. You see, the desire to be satisfied in life with our own strength, with our own canal desires will always bring us to the end of ourselves. The classic example is King Solomon. You see, I like the fact that we have examples in others so that we don't have to get our fingers burnt ourselves. Example is not the best teacher. <laughs> Experience is not the best teacher. You will have many scars. You will have many wounds if you insist on experiencing everything for yourself. You know, for instance, you will never truly be happy if your worldview is this, that if I only could have this car, I will be happy. If I could only drive this type of car, if I could only live in this kind of place or in this type of house, I would be happy. You know, there's some people who are constantly thinking like that. Oh, I really want this. Oh, I really want to be able to do this. And if I do this, I will be happy. They might not articulate it that way, but they tie their happiness to some things that they try to have, they're trying to have. And so when you see someone who never said no to himself. It puts things in perspective. You can learn from that. Because when you satisfy all your desires, they don't go, they grow. It's something you must understand. You see, this is the power of temptation. You think, oh, if I can just cave in, if I can just yield to this prompting, then I'll be okay. But now the desire becomes stronger. It takes a hold of you more. Some of you know what I'm saying. We like to wear our Sunday best and pretend like we don't know these things, but you know. Temptation is the easiest to resist the first time. The easiest time to resist taking alcohol is the very first time. The easiest time to resist An ungodly, you know, sexual relationship is the first time. All these things we know. And when you find someone who never said no, he, he, he had the social experiment. He said, I want to give myself to mirth and to enjoyment. Anything my eyes saw, wanted. And I got it. He had the power, he had the influence. You know, 
Statistically, this is how rich he was. He received $40 billion worth of gold in tributes every year. $40 billion worth of gold in tributes. And that brought his fortune to $2.2 trillion. Talking about King Solomon, $2.2 trillion. You know, so when you can buy a country if you are bored, <laughs> you just say, I want to be a Nigerian. After all, it looks like they are clueless. Why is it, huh? <laughs> if you see a genius who will give, collect, correct money and collect this country, you will not say. I'm asking, I'm not saying I will, I'm just asking. <laughs> so if Dubai offers money now, that. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. I really am. But anyway, that's how rich he was. And he had 1,000 women in his life. 300 wives, 700 concubines. Maybe you don't understand. In 40-year reign as a king, I don't want to do the math for you, but let's assume he met with them Three times a week, he had that kind of, you know, let me use KJV language. He knew someone. <laughs> Three times a week. How many weeks will it take him to go around once? Just imagine meeting your wife and you're like, how are you? Lola, oh, Lola. <laughs> You all should begin to wear badges in this house. Do you know what it means to marry 300 wives and have 700 concubines? It means virtually everyone that you admired, you copped. That's the meaning. From his balcony. Hey. You know, I'm... I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Help me call that girl. <laughs> See, come with your father. Come with your father. <laughs> you know? Then the next day again. Hey, you know? Very silly. Let me tell you why we need to talk about this. Because somewhere in the average human mind, you think, I have someone, but I wish I had more. There's something. Ah, this guy doesn't have broad chests. Ah, then when you find someone with broad chests, ah, that's broad chest, but I, I don't really like the fact that he cannot sing. Then you find someone who can sing, listen. You, you, you are going down a rabbit hole. I'm telling you, literally. From, this, is, this is a social experiment. Someone stopped at 1,000. Do you know? Do you understand what that means? 
And I'm not just talking about, listen, when you are king, you choose 1,000 of the best. They must have hated him. The young guys must have hated him. Type of kings. <laughs> before, before you like your classmate, they don't marry her. It was a first date question. Have you had any interaction with Solomon before? (laughs) Out of the finest ladies in the city, 1,000 belong to one man. That's why it didn't end well. The young boys, they were swearing for him every day. Call me dramatic and all. But when at the end of it all, he begins to make statements like this. He says, first, um, Ecclesiastes, I beg your pardon, Ecclesiastes chapter 1 from verse 12. Let me read from verse 13 for time's sake. He says, and I set my heart to seek and search out wisdom concerning all that was done under the heaven, the burdensome task that God had given to the sons of men by which they were to be exercised. I have seen the works that are done under heaven and indeed all is vanity and the grasping for the wind. He said it was as if I held on to something and opened my hand and saw that it was nothing. I set myself to apprehend all things, material and immaterial. I wanted to be the wisest. Read all the books available to be read. He said it was the grasping of the wind. He says, what is crooked cannot be made straight. Listen, oh my God. You see, if you are insecure, wealth cannot take it away. It will only make it larger. If you are a jerk as a poor person, you will only be a big rich jerk if you have money. At the end of the day, what you need to work on, you need to work on. Marrying what more wives will not help your sexual appetite. Marry more husbands. Statistically, if you divorce someone, you are more likely to divorce the second person. This is statistically proven. So now we can learn from this guy and say, so a wise person will say, at some point, I have to embrace God's idea, be satisfied with God's idea. My mind will try to trick me that there is something outside. The grass always looks greener on the other side. It's a delusion. And I can go all my life trying to hold on to the wind. This is what Solomon is teaching. This is important. This is very important. Listen, if you learn... What I'm sharing with you, it will save your life. I might not be throwing Greek words around. I'm taking my time. If we stop here, it's okay. Turn your Bibles, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 11. I want you to highlight it, it's important. In fact, if you're using an iPad, I want you to use a compass to highlight, just screech through and underline it. And then if you scroll down and it's not underlined, 
until no matter where you scroll, you know, the text is that important. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verse 11, it says, Yet when I considered all the works that my hands had accomplished and what I had toiled to achieve, I found everything to be futile. Listen, you are not reading the writings of a nitwit. This was a very powerful and rich man. He said at the end of it all, it was all futile. All that I worked for, all my toils. A grasping of the wind. He said there is no profit under the sun. That anything I claim to have is only rented to me for 100 years max. I will live on. Come on, are you with me? That in the real sense of things, none of us really owns everything. We just have the privilege to be stewards of things for 100 years maximum. And you will hand over to the next person. And listen, this also annoyed Solomon. That there are some people just by the house they were born to, whether they were foolish or wise, all your labor will be transferred to them. It annoyed Solomon. He said, after all the books I have read, I have written, you know, all the wisdom I've acquired, then one guy will just wake up in my house every morning, yawn, you know, and then one day I'm going to die and leave it for that guy. I'm sure he loved his children, but the idea was just, he just saw an endless circle of futility, of pettiness and emptiness. Nothing new under the sun. We always like to deceive ourselves that we are unique. But in the grand scheme of things, we are so small, so inconsequential, and we will just pass away like everyone else before us and like everyone else after us. It's all vanity upon vanity. I said no to myself. I never said no to myself. Always, you know, Succumb to the desires of my eyes. And yet I still was not happy. There was a group named Nirvana. Nirvana is a Buddhist term that talks about this world of utopia, you know, where it's, it's, it's a type of heaven. So obviously, the guys who formed this group, Kurt Cobain and co, you know, wanted that kind of life. They, that, that, the name of their group reflected their subconscious or conscious desire for more in life. They wanted happiness. And they thought that by exerting themselves, maybe by being more successful, they could get it. But after so many Grammy Awards and millions of dollars in possession. One day they came into the room and found Kurt Cobain dead. He had committed suicide. And he left a note behind saying, I just wasn't excited anymore. You see, let me tell you something. If you think that material things can fill the hole in your heart, you're going to be left with a bigger hole. Because it will frustrate you more let me explain this to you. Let me ask you this. 
Have you ever desired something so much? Maybe even a phone. And when you bought it, you now felt, has it happened to you that you just felt underwhelmed? That is that it? Now, imagine your life is summarized by that experience where you keep pursuing things, getting it and being underwhelmed. Pursuing it, getting it and being underwhelmed. One of the worst things that can happen to you is to think that all there is to life is money and for you to get money and realize there has to be more to life. It now looks like your entire life is a waste. Your entire life is a waste. Is this all? Maybe this is why God has brought you here to hear this sermon early in life. Just just embrace this early in your life. There is more to life. Say with me, there is more to life. So I must live in that balance. Life is not meaningless. But at the same time, life in and of itself is is not satisfying. There has to be more. Listen, I like to describe it this way. If I have a purpose, it means purpose is older than me. Whatever is my purpose existed before I existed. Now that's very important. I take that again. If I have a purpose... It means that my purpose is older than me. So before a chair was ever made, there must be a carpenter who decides, oh, I want to be able to rest when I'm tired. Therefore, the purpose of that chair is older than the chair. That's number one. Number two, whatever my perspective of purpose is must be relevant in the realm of the creator. Ah, my God. Whatever my perspective of purpose is, must be relevant in the realm of the creator. Because we exist in this world, we think it is all about this world. But the one who created time, who created mass, who created matter, must exist out of it. And my purpose must be relevant in his realm. And what I consider to be important must not be petty in his realm. And so to understand purpose, I must ask myself, when I eventually meet the one who proposed, the one who created me, who put me in this world, what questions will he ask me? Whatever will be too petty a conversation to have with God at the end of my life cannot be my purpose. It cannot be my purpose. Come on, are you listening to me? It therefore cannot be my purpose. You think at the end of your life, you are standing before God, and God will say, you mean all your life you only had one car? Just one car? All your life? You mean you never drove a Mercedes? All your life? Somehow, You can spend your life pursuing these things, pursuing money, pursuing material things, and think that's all there is to your life. It will surprise some people that all they work their life for will not even come up in the divine conversation. When you are giving account for your life, God is not even going to bring it up. For some people, listen, at the end of your life, 
Some people think all there is to their life is their career. When they think of purpose, they think, oh, I'm going to be a doctor. That's what I'm going to do with my life. I'm going to be a lawyer. That's what I'm going to do with my life. But now the question is, at the end of your life, what is going to matter as much to God? How many hours you spent at the hospital or at the courtroom? You think that's going to be his priority? You see, your career can never be your purpose. At best, it can be a vehicle for the fulfillment of purpose. But in and of itself, it cannot be your purpose. If it were to be your purpose, God would not care whatever else you did or did not do. Purpose is that one thing for which you were created and at which you must succeed. Otherwise, nothing else you succeed at will count. That one thing for which you were created and at which you must succeed. Otherwise, nothing else you succeed at will count. But I would have you understand there are things more important to God than the car you drive, than the kind of company you work with. There are things more important. If you are a good boss and a bad father, you have not fulfilled purpose. If you are a good father but you never met Jesus, you have not fulfilled purpose. For what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? In the realm of purpose, there are priorities. Not all things have the same importance. Not all things have the same relevance. Hallelujah. So here is what I must understand. If I don't do what matters the most, every other thing will frustrate me. That's what I'm trying to say. If I pursue money above all things, Money, the very money will be, become a thorn in my flesh. It will irritate me. It will become the source of my depression. Whatever you make an idol will become the source of your depression. Either the abundance of it or the lack of it. Have you seen people who just hear that they lost some great amount of money and lose their mind? It means it was that money that was keeping their mind sane. It was that money that was keeping you sane. And so listen, it doesn't matter even if you go to church regularly. If you don't understand there is more to life than having money, having all these things. Where God can look at you and say, lovest thou me more than these things. Because when he sees you, he sees all the idols in your life. And when you say, as much as God wants me to prosper... He has bigger priorities in my life. And this is his priority. He wants me to know him and to make him known. So when God tells the story of the rich man and Lazarus, it's not because he wants all of us to be poor. But in the grand scheme of things, there are things more important than riches. Do you understand what I'm saying? Uh -huh. So at the end of the day, he would rather a poor man who has found purpose than a rich man who doesn't, who hasn't found purpose. Because at the end of the day, the moment you switch to the other side of eternity, what you call riches will become poverty. 
And the person you thought was poor may become rich. So whatever, listen, listen, and this is what I'm trying to say. Purpose must be relevant in two realms. If I am rich here, I must be rich there. Just like Abraham. If I am rich here and I cannot be rich there, that's not true riches. Every time I spend time praying, I am fulfilling purpose. I am doing the one thing that matters the most. Getting to know the creator God. Every time I tell people about him, I'm fulfilling purpose. Every time I partner in the littlest way to help people know him, I'm fulfilling purpose. But then it doesn't stop there. Purpose drives me to have an assignment. Oh my God. Come on, are you with me? One mistake many church people make is they, make pur- they discover purpose and they end there. Oh, I know Christ. I'm making him known. Therefore, that's all. No, it doesn't end there. <laughs> no, it doesn't end there. There is such a thing as a selfless ambition. Please, what did I call it? So this is the way I see things. Someone who is working for money cannot be more hardworking than me who is working with a sense of accountability to a divine God. Do you understand what I'm saying? I must be more excellent. If he thinks that all that he's doing will end in this life, but I know that he will ask me, God will ask me at the end of my life what I did while I was on the earth, it must show in my effort. The excellency of my effort must be different. If I believe that I was purchased, I mean, Jesus died for me, paid a very expensive price for me, it must show in the way I live my life. And when I do business, trying to win souls, I must put in more effort than someone who is doing it just for money. Say amen if you understand. So it gives me a pure but hotter drive. Nobody who is doing it for money can outwork me. <laughs> it's not possible. I'm doing it for souls. I have more at stake and it will show. I have more at stake and it will show. Come on, say loud amen if you believe. If you don't have a sense of accountability... I should be more hardworking than you are. I should be more excellent than you are. Because I know you, someone else doesn't believe that God will ask him, but I do. And that means in everything I do, I do it with a sense of accountability. When the Bible says that you should do all things as unto the Lord, as unto the Lord, Consecration births a type of excellence that is rare, that is divine. Because other people, if they sleep for one week, they feel nobody will ask them questions. But I can't do that. There's a reason why I sleep as much as I do and why I work as hard as I do. I am living not just for myself 
but a life of accountability to a divine being. You understand purpose when you walk in this balance. On one hand, I don't believe life is meaningless, but on the other hand, I don't believe life is satisfying. On the one hand, I am ready to give up, give up everything I have to preserve my soul. But on the other hand, that makes me a better businessman. <laughs> because when you are competing, quote and unquote, against someone who is ready to lose everything, he becomes dangerous. He becomes dangerous. He becomes dangerous. If you feel your own existence ends here, but I feel that even if this life ends, I have a better body, a better inheritance, then my drive and my determination will exceed your own. And what God offers us is the best of both worlds. Say amen if you understand. The best of both worlds. Just like Abraham, blessed on the earth and blessed in heaven. Blessed on the earth and blessed in heaven. And as we go on in this series, I'm going to expatiate all these points that I'm giving just in summary. But what I want you to do for now is to embrace this possibility. First and foremost, I'm living with a sense of accountability. I have a sense of meaning in this life that someone who doesn't share my convictions can scarcely touch. And that makes me heaven-centered but it makes me also of a better good on the earth. Some people miss that. They become so heaven-centered, they are of no use on the earth. But I've become heaven-centered, and so I walk on earth with a selfless ambition, with a sense of accountability. I will give account for even the idlest word that I utter. I have become intentional with my walk. Even when no one is seeing me, God sees me. You know, I'm going to be very excellent if I live with that mindset. That even if my boss doesn't see me, God sees me. I'm going to be excellent in my work. Before I could cheat in an exam, and I feel like got away with it because no one saw me, but God sees me. That sense of accountability, and let me tell you one simple secret. If you have ruled out the possibility of cheating, you will read more. And if you read more, you become better. And if you become better, all these decisions make you better on the long run. God's way is the best. Say, I embrace God's plan for my life. Say, I embrace God's method for my life. Please rise to your feet. Rise to your feet. In Christ alone, my hope is found he is my light my strength my song this cornerstone this solid ground come on come on what depth of peace My comforter, my all in all, 
No guilt in life, no fear in death. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my death. No power of come on, no scheme of man can ever block me from his hand till he returns or calls me home here in the power of Christ. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. We have something more than gold. We have true riches. If you take all that we have, we will still be rich. You see, when Joseph was about to be sold to slavery, he stood on that platter, and the Bible says, and Joseph was a prosperous man. They had taken everything he had, stripped him of all his clothing the bible says right in that moment and joseph was a prosperous man that's real riches if all about you is money you are poor hallelujah but we have a purpose in god we have a reason to live because we have a reason to die <laughs> that's the paradox of purpose we are in a fix between two even to depart is far better. But to stay means purposeful ministry. That's the sense in which we live. It's a win-win situation. To depart is to be with God forever. And to stay means ministry to the world. What a way to live. No wonder whether in life or in death. Whether through peril or sword. We are more than conquerors. Hallelujah. We are more than conquerors because we don't have a price. Our conviction has no price. If you take us to the mountain like you did Jesus and offer all the kingdoms of the world, we still won't bow. And these are the kind of people who can change a nation. People who don't have a price. People who will only do what God will have them do. Is God raising men like that in this, in this church? Is God raising women like that in, that in this church? Father, we thank you for something more than gold. We found our purpose in you. We found our fulfillment in you. Uh, you have made us rocks just like you. We are consistent just like you. In season and out of season, we are consistent. When men are watching and when they are not, we are consistent. Thank you, Father. Glory to your name. Lord, let purpose be our greatest appetite. And let it help us keep every other desire at bay. In the mighty name of Jesus. In Jesus' mighty name. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809 996 7000 Blessings <laughs>